you all today on this beautiful first Sunday of the month of June. The sun is shining and we're entering into what looks like some very nice summer weather. Uh, it also happens to be Trinity Sunday, which is another very special day in the church calendar year. Uh, additionally, I wanted to thank all of you who joined me for the philosophy class on Friday. I'm sure it took you all weekend to recover from the big questions we were wrestling with. Uh, but those of you who would like to join us in the future, please do. We're looking forward to that. It's really, really fun. And today we're going to begin our service with our first hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Scripture. 
Bill has thankfully agreed to read the entirety of the lectionary text, which is the whole first chapter of Genesis. So thank you, Bill. I have to comment on pastor's class because this happened to me uh, leaving his class. Danielle stopped me and said, you know, you're reading this this Sunday. And I said, oh, and she handed me the first chapter of Genesis. And it brought back a, a lot of thoughts about the class and about some experiences I had. I was asked at one time to... Uh, run an adult class at our church to explain the beginnings of the Bible. You know, do it in like six weeks, an hour, uh, a Sunday for six weeks. Well, I got tangled up in that thing and it was quite an interesting experience. But in his pastor's class, we talked about eschatological... Help me. Estimology? Estimology, yes. Estimology. And it's kind of determining simply what is. Now, when we're doing that with particularly written words, we tend to use our experiences, our logic and reasoning, and our intuition. Now, a lot of us come from very different backgrounds and experiences. And when you do that uh, in determining Scripture... Last Sunday we found that we have a helper, we have a counselor. And that's when we had divine intervention, divine, the Holy Spirit comes in to help us determine what we're trying to understand. When you think of the Bible, and you think of it being oral history, and then written in Aramaic, and in Hebrew, and then in Greek, and probably even a little bit in in Egyptian hieroglyphics, because they of the people spending so much time in Egypt. And then when the Roman uh, dynasty or the Roman Empire became Christian, it was pretty much converted and translated into Latin. And then, of course, with Martin Luther and others, it began to be translated in other languages. We say, what is the Bible? Which Bible? The books of the Bible? Well, a lot of the Bible is not books. It's letters and stories and other things. Is the Bible a a science book? Well, not really, but there's science in it. Is the Bible a history book? Well, it certainly isn't chronological, is it? (laughs) It's put together in different ways. Is it a book of law? Yes, it has rules and regulations. Book of government? Even a book of health. When we think of things like don't eat pork, Pork not well cooked often leads to trichinosis. And so this could be a health issue rather than a religious issue. So we have to look at authors and what they're writing and why they're writing them. The Bible says some interesting things. We're to to think about these things. And I I know I'm going on a little bit, but it's just, just hit me. Because when you study the Bible, the term often uses hermeneutics. And uh, that's when you really are asking the Spirit, Holy Spirit, to be with you. So I say that because when you read Genesis and you have a science background, you find some people believe in the uh, creational of men and women being different than uh, creating of animals. Others think of evolution being more continuity. No place in the Bible does it say you have to read, believe one or the other to be saved. But it asks you to think about who the author is, who he's writing to, and what he's writing about and why. And as translations are made in different languages, they're going to use the language of that people to best convey the message. So this is the English version, very close to... The King James Version. When you notice King James made his Bible the King James Version of the Bible, knowing that there were others. So let's go on and read Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 4, 8. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless, void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters, 
Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome, and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters and the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with a seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants, yielding seed of every kind, a tree of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters, and every living creature that moves, of every kind with which the waters swam, swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply. And fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant, yielding seed, that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth 
when they were created. Another account of creation in the, in the day that the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And I just want you to know that I brought a Bible up here that's translated in, would you believe it, in Norwegian. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. That is a marathon of a text to read. But a beautiful one, nonetheless. And I didn't know you were going to bring a Norwegian Bible. And then why did I brought my Swedish Bible? That's good. It did. It did take a while to create it all. Our lectionary psalm comes from Psalm 8, and we'll be reading it responsibly. O Lord, our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babies and infants. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field. And now for our next hymn, Come Thou Almighty King. Greet you. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The word of our Lord. Praise the Holy Gospel according to John, the 28th chapter. Oh, sorry, it's Matthew 28. <laughs> Glory to you, O Lord. <laughs> now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, and but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I have a working theory about humanity and art. Mind you, I don't have any research or any academic studies to back this theory up. It's just a personal theory, but so far it has held true. It's my personal belief that each and every human being has a natural inclination toward at least one form of art. At least one form of art. That each and every person on earth has a natural inclination to at least one form. I used to be very limited in my view of what counted as art. When I was younger, art was simply painting and sculpture just a sliver of the visual arts. But over time I learned that art encompassed much, much more. There's poetry, literature, music, photography, cinematography and theater, and so much more. I can't recall exactly when my view of art grew to its current range, but it seems to have taken me several years to see art in all of its expansiveness. It was only in the last two or three years that I began to really articulate this personal theory of mine, that everyone has this natural inclination to at least one form of art. This theory grew out of a personal renaissance of sorts for myself in the art of poetry. I had written a few poems as a kid, a few more in college and seminary, but it wasn't until the past couple years that I really fell into an ocean of words. Poetry began to flow out of me, and so much so I kept writing and writing, and as of today I have two whole volumes of poetry that I've self-published on Amazon. I didn't set out to write my poems in order to publish them, and I don't plan on quitting my day job <laughs> to write poetry full-time, but there came a point where I thought to myself, I want to share my art with other people, and so I did. Art is at the heart of the Old Testament lectionary text that Bill read for us from Genesis 1 today. And today is also Holy Trinity Sunday. We have a day in our church liturgical year set aside to remind us of God's nature and character and being as Trinity. In Genesis 1, we heard part of the creation story. God creates light and land, day and night, animals and fish, plants and more, and ultimately the Trinity creates humanity in God's image. In our text we read, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Some people read these texts and they want to understand how God made all the things. Or they focus their attention on when all of this may have taken place. But those questions, as fascinating and as important as they are, are not as important as another question. Who is the God described in this text? Who is this God who creates? As a science enthusiast myself, the questions about how God made all the things and when it came to be, they truly fascinate me. But on my spiritual journey, there came a point where I realized that the author of this text 
wasn't really concerned with those questions. The author wanted me and everyone else who read this story to know the character and the nature of the maker. To know the character and the nature of the maker. Or maybe a better way to say it is the character and the nature of the original artist. The Trinity is the very first artist. This is the story of the Trinity creating the colors for all canvases, the material for all sculptures, the air for all music notes, the words for all poems, the stage for all plays. The Trinity is the author of the meta-story, the original of all literature. At the heart of this story is a depiction of God's artistry. There's a phrase repeated several times in that first chapter that really emphasizes how central the theme of God's character and artistry is to this story. We heard it multiple times. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. This phrase appears seven times in this chapter. Repetition of words, phrases, or images in any Bible text is one of the most important interpretation tools you and I have. When you see something as you're reading a text of the Bible that's repeated over and over in the text, like I said, it could be a word, could be a whole phrase, could be an image, or a collection of images that are all repeating the same theme. When you see something like this, that is the author pointing to you, pointing out to you and me, the most important or the central idea of the text. It's a really helpful hermeneutical tool, a way to read and understand any Bible text. And one key observation that we can make regarding this text, if God says that everything he sees and everything he has made is good, we can know this truth. God doesn't make junk. Repeat after me. God doesn't make junk. Everything from time to water to soil to plants and animals to people, all of it is beautiful, all of it has purpose, all of it is good. God doesn't make junk. Additionally, God doesn't make evil. God made everything. He saw that it was good. And that begs the next question, a philosophical slash theological question. How is there evil if God didn't make it? That's a big question. Well, friends, this question has rattled the brains of philosophers and theologians and lots of other people for centuries. And I won't pretend to give you an answer that ties it all up in a nice, neat little bow because it's a challenging question with no easy solution. As for me, I've landed on the following thought. God doesn't make robots, either. God makes creatures with free will and agency, which means in creating us, God made it possible for us to reject God, to reject God's plans and designs. We make evil, that's pretty evident. Don't have to look very far or look very hard in our day and our life experience to see the evil things we do as people. But God only makes good. And God is powerful enough to overcome all evil with good. To transform all sin, injustice, and death into beautiful things. That, my friends, may be one of God's more powerful artistic strokes. The ability to transform the ugly, the wrong, the evil, and the vile into the beautiful, the true, and the wonderful. God can do that. God has proven he can do that over and over and over again. From setting an entire nation of slaves free in the book of Exodus, to opposing the violence of prophets of Baal with Elijah, to calling out tyrannical empires in Babylon and Assyria, to confronting the evil oppression of Rome, to engaging in the issues of poverty and inequality and wrongdoing through the words and actions of Jesus, ultimately culminating in Jesus' death and resurrection, confronting and ending sin and death. God is in the business of transforming 
darkness into light. God makes beautiful art out of the most terrible and tragic stuff of human brokenness. Because again, God doesn't make robots. God makes people. People can choose to make evil, but we can also choose to make good. We're invited by God to create beauty, to create justice, to create goodness. And that leads me to one more observation from our text. After making human beings, the text says, God saw everything he had made, and indeed, it was very good. He took it one step further. Not only did he see all that he had made each day and say, and it was good, after all the things, now culminating in humanity, he said, it was very good. God saw you and me, and indeed, it was very good. You are good. You were made by the hands of the master sculptor. The colors of your hair and eyes, the texture of your hands, the tone of your voice, the spirit and soul of your love and your giftings, God made all those. God made you and saw you and said, I done good. <laughs> yeah, you are very good. I love you and I like you and I want you and I invite you to make art with me. There are whole traditions of Christianity that begin their theological descriptions of humanity in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve sinned, but the story doesn't begin there. Right? They're missing two chapters. The story begins with God and the good. We were made good, and sin, real as it is, doesn't undo God's work and words. It needs redeeming, yes, but it does not undo God's words. We were made good and beautiful, and we have the opportunity to join God in making more beauty and more goodness. Amen? Amen. So I have three invitations for you, and they're quite simple, easy things that any of us can do. Number one invitation for this week, look in the mirror and appreciate God's artistry. Look in the mirror and appreciate God's artistry. When you're brushing your teeth before you go to bed, when you're waking up and combing your hair, take a brief look in the mirror and say, God made something good. He's looking at you every moment of every day, and that's what he's saying. So you can say it too. Honor God's words and God's work. See yourself as he sees you. One of his masterpieces. Second invitation. Appreciate the art of others. Every day, take at least a moment to appreciate the artwork of another person. It may be a painting in the hallway. It may be music played on a piano in the dining room. Poetry you read in a book. A lovely photograph or a well-kept garden. Appreciate and honor and meditate on the beauty in the art of others as they partner with God in making beautiful things. Third and final invitation, create some art of your own. Discover your art form. Some of you maybe haven't discovered the art form that you resonate with most naturally. Others of you have been doing it for decades and you know this is where your heart lightens up to do whatever it is. No matter what you do, no matter what kind of art you resonate with, this week, create something. Put your hands to work, or your mind to work, or your voice to work. Create something of beauty. Lean into creativity, sing songs, paint paintings, sculpt something, draw something. Do something that gets your hands and your spirits aligned in the beauty of partnering with God. All three of these invitations will bless you, and they will bless others. Remember, God doesn't make junk. 
and all human art is a reflection of God's art. We can make beautiful things. When we do, we discover our purpose, and we discover profound joy. I want to close my message today by reading for you a poem that I wrote specifically for this sermon. So as I read this poem, I want to invite you to close your eyes, and I want you to listen to my voice as I read these words, and let them sink deep into your heart. Beauty ascends the mountains and skips like sunlight off the sea. The Trinity reflected in all the faces that we see. Refreshing breeze moves with gentle ease as the bees pass all the blooming trees. By ecstasy on every side, we are surrounded. We're invited to embrace it in eternal love unbounded. Within the soul there is contained the power to create, a power to transform every evil and every hate. Let today be our declaration and our passionate decree that each and every one of us will be artists like the Holy Trinity. Amen. Let's continue our service with our next hymn, How Great Thou Art. Descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. 
He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we will receive our offering.
When we take communion, we are participating in a centuries-long tradition of our faith, one that began even before Jesus with the Passover meal, where the Jews were in Egypt and in slavery, but God was preparing to open the door and set them free, and about to, as they were about to make their way out of Egypt and out of that slavery, God said, prepare a meal. And so they did. And for centuries, that meal marked their preparations to leave, preparations to be set free. And then when Jesus comes along, he celebrates that very meal with his disciples. He gathers them around the table. They have the food and drinks set out. And Jesus walks them through the steps of the meal. And then he says some things that really were radical and new. He transformed this meal from a meal that was specifically for the Jewish people into a meal that would now be for all people. For all people who would follow him centuries and centuries on after. And during that meal, there was bread on the table and a cup. The bread, Jesus said, represented his body broken for them. The cup represented his blood shed for them. And he said, this is now a meal for all people. We have taken this meal for centuries as Christians, as followers of Jesus, representing his ultimate gift of love for you and for me, his sacrifice on the cross. So I'm going to pray over these elements, and then we're going to begin by taking the wafer together. I invite you to join me in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray your blessing over this wafer and this cup. And we thank you for all the tradition and all the meaning and all the symbolism and all the power that's wrapped up in this practice, in the spiritual rhythm that we partake in. And so as we take, we pray that you bless us, spirit, mind, heart, and body. Fuel us with this food, that we may be people who go out and continue to do the work of creating beauty and blessing others, loving everyone, and doing the work that you call us to do. We pray a blessing upon these in Jesus' name. Amen. In celebrating the Passover with his disciples, Jesus took bread and broke it, gave thanks, and said, Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let us take the wafer together. In the same way, Jesus took a cup and he said, This cup is my blood, shed for you and shed for the sins of the whole world, a new covenant between God and humanity. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let us take together. And together, praying the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now for our closing hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King.
in peace to serve the Lord. And as I say each week, you're more and more than welcome to join us for food and fellowship in the plum room uh, for our continued fellowship with brothers and sisters in faith. Amen. Amen.